You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers' Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is a freelance writer, blogger, and author of the best-selling series The Mapmaker Chronicles. She has more than 20 years' professional writing experience. Each week, they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. With students enrolling from all over the world, you can find out more about the Australian Writer Centre at writercentre.com.au. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 138 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with Alison Tate. How are you, Al? Oh, you know, on a scale of one to ten, I'm yes. probably about a four this week no. to be honest. Because, well, you know, school holidays oh. are about to land on my head. Yes. In a very solid fashion. Yes. In the shape of two small boys. <laughs> mm, that should be fun. I know. Um, so I'm just, you know, really busy trying to get stuff done. And so that just makes stressful times, really. So times. when the school holidays descend upon you generally, not just the Christmas ones coming up, mm-hmm. but do you just write them all off or and think that you're going to get no work done or do you carve out some time during the school holiday, holidays to get work done? Well, I can't just write off six weeks. Like it's just too no. long. A period to be writing off. Um, I tend to write off at least the first – so for the summer break, I'll write off at least the first two. Mm. But um, what I try to do is to uh, – well, well, I've got a copy edit to do in January, so oh. I'll be having to make some time to do that. Mm. Um, and, you know, the boys are good. that They're sort of, you know, 12 and 9 now. Mm. Um, so we, we just have an arrangement where I'll say to them, I need an hour to do this. Mm-hmm. And they will watch uh, a movie or something or do whatever they do, read a book, um, play a guitar, which is not as, you know, mellow and soulful as it should be, um, <laughs> do whatever they do. Um, so we, At least we try- it's not the drums. Oh, no, we have them as well. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we have them as well. I'll tell you what, you don't realise how loud they are until they're in your garage. But anyway, um, yeah. so, yeah, so we basically I, – what I try to do is get it done in the morning. Uh, a couple of hours in the morning when they're sort of sleepy and lazy and happy to lie around and do nothing. And then we go somewhere or do something for the rest of the day. And then if I'm sort of, depending on what I'm doing, I might come back to it that night um, once they're sort of, but see, they go to bed later in summer, you know, as well. So it all gets a bit hairy, but we we make it work. We'll get through it. But I'm curious to know um, how many hours on average per day do you think you would get to be able to do your writing and your work? Maximum of three. Okay. So I try to do two in the morning where I will um, – so that's when I'll work on my edit or uh, the sort of social media stuff or, um, you know, if I've got a commission or if I'm teaching a class or whatever it is that I'm doing, mm-hmm. I try to get that done in the morning um, because that sort of requires me to, uh, you know, really – be focused, mm. um, and then uh, depending, I, I'm seriously hoping that I will have my draft finished yes. by the time I get to the holidays. But uh, given that I have a child home sick again for two days this week, mm. 
it's looking less and less likely, unfortunately. Um, but I will focus on getting uh, sort of hopefully an hour of writing done each night until I get that finished. Um, that's that's kind of the plan. I, you know, you have to be a bit, you know, it's one of those situations where I think as any parent will tell you, um, you have to be flexible when it comes to getting done and how things get done. Um, They don't always get done in the way that they would do if you didn't have, you know, small people around. So Mm. the house is never all clean at once ever. So, but every room gets a go at some point. It's kind of of that approach to everything. Oh, how to fit in writing around, around life and children. Yes, that's right. Oh, so, which reminds me that a lot of people are now learning a lot of Alison's strategies and tips, including a 30-day writing boot camp where you will write 10,000 words by the end of 30 days, which is, I think, one of the most exciting parts of Alison's new course, Make Time to Write. And that only <laughs> launched this week and it is super popular. So. Yay. Yeah, fantastic. If you want Alison's tips and advice, then check that course out. It's at writerscentre.com.au slash time. Now, I want to give a big shout out to Kane, who goes by the uh, name of, or on iTunes, now you get this, ready? Are you ready, Al? I'm ready. Hit me. Kane Yay East. I like it. Who has left us a review on iTunes and has said, I've been looking around for ages for a podcast that I can listen to help me with my creative writing and become more confident with my writing and myself. And then I found, so you want to be a writer. Every single week I wait in eager anticipation for the latest installment of Valerie's and Alison's mayhem to hit my iPhone. Mayhem. Yes. (laughs) I have to agree with that. It is mayhem. I'm currently in high school and am taking a creative writing class where we are studying a diverse array of different writing techniques, styles, and genres. I always listen to all of your earlier podcasts that have been there since I found you guys while I'm writing and always add your word of the week to my glossary book. I'm so happy. I'm so proud of you, Kane. Uh, Currently, we're writing a magazine where we have to design the cover and write the articles. Do you have any advice for how I should display things on my front cover? Thank oh. you so much, and I look forward to your future episodes. That is a great question, Kane. That is a great question. What mm. have you got for us, Valerie? What did you <laughs> answer that? See how well, I did that? I did. So we we both come from magazines. So I think that what's important when you're decide when you're designing the cover and displaying things on your front cover is that it needs to be an eye catching cover, and it needs to have a hero in the shot. So it can't be a cover that's just cluttered with lots of different things and the eye doesn't know where to look. The eye needs to look at, you know, either a person or a thing or an object or or whatever. And it needs to have space on the top for the name of the magazine. And it needs to have space generally on the sides, either on one side or the other or both, where you can put the cover lines. And of course, in the past, cover lines were such an important thing and covers because they were the things that basically determined whether you picked up the magazine at the newsagent or not and and or bought it, right? Yeah, that's so right. So it's a real science to um, cover design. So if it's the sort of thing that you need pe- people to pick up and buy, it needs to – you need to think that, well, that's the purpose of the magazine. And you know what, Al? I was on a plane the other day and it was – I took out the um, – um, 
in a flight magazine and it was just a hopelessly designed oh. cover and I thought you people are lazy because these are in the back pockets on the back of the seats you don't have you don't rely on news agent sales or magazine sales you you've got a captive audience literally they're captive in the plane then mm. you're not trying anymore with that cover Oh, yes, that's anyway. very harsh, Valerie, I, yes, very, I, very harsh. It was terrible. I, I'm going to show you and you'll just go, that's the dumbest cover you've ever seen. Anyway, what's your I think the important thing though, I think let's just let's just have a look at those cover lines because for me, of course, um, does cover design has never really been my strong point because I'm not particularly designery, but cover lines mm. are incredibly important. Yes. And cover lines, I think there's two things that I think you need to remember with them. They're kind of like the clickbait of you know, yes. the print media. And mm-hmm. I think the thing that you need to remember with them, Kane, is that they need to be short, generally speaking, and mm. designers will want them to be shorter than short. They don't like words on their covers at all. Um, but they need to be short and they need to sell. And I think that that's sometimes where cover lines go wrong. That you're not just describing the article inside, mm. you're selling it. And I think that if you can remember that, um, I, I often find when I'm pitching a story that I try to write the cover line for myself, uh, as it, it's almost part of the pitch, because if mm. I if I can sell it to the editor, then the editor can sell it on the cover. And I think that if you think about that, your stories as potential cover lines, mm. and your cover lines as being short and selling, then it can help with the pitch as well as with the look of the um, of the design of the magazine cover. Yes, absolutely. And you're so right. Think of it, um, uh, it's what you're saying. It's not what the article is about. Your cover line isn't what the article is about. It's like what the reader is going to get out of it, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, you've got, there's, there needs to be an emo- you, you kind of, you need the feel. You need to yes. hit them in the feel, so to speak. I don't <laughs> even know if that's a thing, but hit them in the feel because that's, that's what's going to make them pick up the magazine is how they feel about yes. that cover line. Absolutely. And it, it just like clickbait, in a sense, you also need to deliver on that cover line or people will Absolutely. learn not to trust you. And yeah. I remember um, years ago, I picked up a mag, I bought a magazine because it said something like one of the cover lines was something like how to get a job in New York. Mm. And, but when I got to the actual magazine, uh, the actual article, the, it, the, the bit about, you know, getting a job in New York was literally one person's single sentence on how she got her job in New York. Oh, that's oh, not. Terrible, terrible, terrible. No, I want at least a thousand words with yeah. 20 kids that I can act on. Unbelievable. It was mm. such a ripoff. Mm. Anyway, it's a magazine anyway, you and I know, I know quite well. Let's, let's leave it behind now, shall yes, we? Let's, let's move on. Behind. All right. So yeah. let's move on to the world of writing and publishing this week. Okay. We? <laughs> let's do that. <laughs> well, the first link I've got comes from, um, a, uh, from Medium and it's written by Srinivas Rao who has written a post on uh, a, a daily writing habit allows you to become the author of your life story. And basically Srinivas talks about literally that, a daily writing habit. Now, this sprung to mind because I have just come away from a two-day mastermind. They're not with, even though everyone who was at the mastermind, uh, they write and they blog, they're not, you know, creative writers in the Mm -hmm. traditional sense. A lot of them were business owners. But one lady 
uh, Sophie. Hello, Sophie, in case you're listening. I know Sophie's actually done a couple of the courses at the Australian Writers' Centre as well. So one of the things Sophie says she does is that without fail, every single morning, she writes three pages. Now, we all might be familiar with the concept of morning pages by Mm. Julia Cameron, but one of the things that, and a lot of writers do that kind of like to get them going, but one of the things Sophie does her morning pages for is actually not so much for the craft of writing, but very much so just getting any stuff that's in her head out and onto paper. It's almost like meditating. And once she literally gets it out of her head, any concerns she has, any emotions that she has, any, anything, whatever happens to be on her mind, no matter how big or how small out of her head, it's like she can start the day with a clean slate and regardless of whether you're do, doing this for writing purposes or not, I encourage you to do this because I do this from time to time. I have periods on and off where I will do my three pages. Sometimes they end up being two. Sometimes they end up being five. And it has that um, effect of being a very cleansing process mm. so that you can then start your day, which might be you know your work, or it might be start your story with a clean slate in a sense. Mm. Yes, so I just thought I would throw that in because um, I I find it useful when I do it, and it just I was reminded of it recently by Sophie. So yeah, it's an interesting thing. I've actually been encouraging um, my oldest son. He's currently twelve, going on thirteen. Known mm-hmm. as Book Boy, does a lot yes. of reading. He writes songs as well, which is quite oh, interesting. Wow. Um, I know he's kind of surprising, but um, I've been encouraging him to keep a journal, and we were discussing this notion of journaling because I said, you know, he said, "What do you mean, like a diary?" And I said, no, no, I said, not like, because, so I don't know if we've talked about this before. I'm pretty sure we have, but, you know, my my father keeps the world's most hilarious diary, which oh. essentially, well, it's an interesting thing. He's we been, have talked about it. Have we never talked about no. it? He's been, I'm pretty sure we have. He's been keeping it for years and years and years. He has a stack of these things. And every year he gets a, a fresh, you know, new, mm-hmm. lovely, very boring, business-like looking thing. Mm-hmm. And every day he records in his diary what the weather forecasters say the weather is going to be. (laughs) And then he goes back the following day and he records underneath exactly what the weather was so that he can tell whether or not the forecasters, you know, got it right or or not. So he's got that in it. And then every once in a while, if there's some kind of major news event, Mm he'll put a one-line version of what that particular news event was. Now, mm. the, one, the one that always comes to mind when I talk about his diary is there was an incident several years ago where Jennifer Hawkins slipped over on the David Jones or Maya. Oh, yes, I remember, at Westfield in um, Miranda. Yeah, okay. So yeah. that was his news item of the day. Mm-hmm. And it's recorded simply as, and it just made me laugh and I've remembered it always, it just says, oops, Jennifer Hawkins. <laughs> so if you, if you ever need to know what day that was, yes. we could go back through his diaries and we could find that particular oh entry. Oh, my goodness. So I said to my son, don't keep a diary like Pops's diary because, you know, that's <laughs> probably not really what you need. But I said, you just write down what you're thinking or feeling or something that happened and how that made you feel or yeah. um, more for that sort of thing. So um, whether he has or not, I don't know because, of course, I'm not going to read it and he's probably got it stashed under his bed somewhere. Mm. 
which is a place I will never go. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's a great way, particularly for newer writers, it's a really good way to tap into um, thoughts and feelings. And as I said to him, it's the kind of thing that you can look back on you know, when you're 25 and you want to write a novel mm. and you can look at what you, what it was like to be 13, what it yes. actually felt like to be 13 um, because the feelings of being 13 don't change even as the world around you, like even as technology changes and all of those different things and who knows what we'll be doing by the time he's 25, mm. the feelings of being 13 mm. don't change. So, I, you know, I put, well, you know, I'm trying to turn him into a world so international best-selling author clearly. of course of course so that he can keep me in my old age but you know, <laughs> gotta, start somewhere. gotta start somewhere but it's so true starting a journal is such a good idea and I know some people have well are hesitant to do so because they're afraid you kind of just touched on it then that uh, other people might read it especially or they're afraid to actually spew out their innermost thoughts mm. because they're afraid other people might read it and um and that's a, I, I fear that because my mother read my diary when I was a teenager and oh. that has stuck with me ever since that, you know, I have that fear. Didn't you so, have the one with the little key? No, unfortunately. Oh. Um, or I did at one point, but um, it's really easy to open. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why when I discovered, you know, online journaling where you can lock it and mm-hmm. it's only available via password, I mm. thought that was great. But even then, I, I reckon I kept it for three, four years. Mm-hmm. Um, I kept my Penzu account, penzu.com for anyone who is interested. It's very affordable and um, you can just lock it and you can have as many journals as you want and it's password protected. Uh, only last month or two months ago, I destroyed it. Oh. It could, because I still have that fear. <laughs> well, and it is a fear because I think the other thing is too that, um, like I don't know about you, but, you know, as a writer, I often – I often don't even know what I think about something until I write yes. it down. Yes. So sometimes, you know, discovering what you actually do think about things can be mm. quite a scary, you know, it's it's a confronting thing to actually delve right down into your subconscious to see what you really think about stuff. Yep. Um, and I think that that's something that does stop people too. But I also feel that getting into that is probably where you're going to find, you're really going to find the kernel of your the best. Gold writing yep. is going to be right down in those places that you don't want to visit. Um, so, you know, it's it, while it is confronting and terrifying to actually discover what you truly do feel about things sometimes um, and the thought of someone else reading them is mm. is horrifying, mm. um, I think that it's it's a worthwhile exercise to have it. I don't keep a journal all the time. Like I, I, I go through phases of it. Yes, I haven't kept too. one for a long time because most of my creative output now is going into other things. And I also kept, kept that blog for, you know, my blog for such a long time that, um, which is obviously a much more public uh, space. Like I, I certainly am not revealing my innermost thoughts mm. there, uh, but it, but that amount of writing does stop you from necessarily, you know, wanting to do three pages. So sure. I think that it's, um, but it's a worthwhile exercise to do every once in a while, just to really get into where you're up to. 
Do really. know what you're thinking. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. All right, mm. let's move on to our next uh, link for this week, which is on The Right Life, and it's called Eight Steps for Writing a Compelling Profile Story. Mm. Now, yeah, interesting one. Now, uh, of course, all of these links are in the show notes, which you can find at so you want to be a writer.com.au. Now, this has a number of uh, tips, well, eight steps, uh, and, and they're good. Like some of them are obviously research your subject, create questions that linger, like, you know, don't ask yes-no kind of questions mm, as mm. well. But um, record your interviews, kind of obvious ones. But the one I think that is the most important, actually, is number three, which is allow your subject to do 90% of the talking. <laughs> Because sometimes you watch interviews on TV or sometimes, I mean, you and I have both also been interviewed by people and they do half the talking, which is kind of nice if you're having a conversation. But if you're actually doing a profile on somebody, let them do the talking. And it's very frustrating sometimes when you see stuff on television where the um, interviewer tells, you know, basically enters the conversation on a lot of irrelevant stuff. And sometimes it's to build rapport. Sometimes it's to show off what they know about a subject. Yeah. But you will get much more out of it if you hold yourself back <laughs> and um, and allow your subject to do 90% of the talking, definitely. Just let the awkward pause happen, this I is, um This is really interesting because I think that this is something that you learn um, when you write features. Mm. Um, I remember when I first started out, you know, writing features and I was working for um, – Cosmo and uh, different places as a freelancer. And it's something that I learned very quickly because I realized that because I was recording all of my interviews at the time, Mm. um, wanting to make sure I got everything right and all that sort of stuff. And I would go and I would have these conversations with people and they were, you know, fantastic conversations. But then I would go to transcribe the interview and I would be looking for full quotes to use in my story. Mm. And I would realize how many times I had cut off yes. the subject and I hadn't allowed them to finish the thought, which meant that I ended up with all of these quotes that were half quotes or, and I kept thinking to myself, God, what was I thinking? I wish I'd let you finish that because yes. that would have been so useful to have for my story. Mm. It made writing the article so much more difficult when I kept interrupting. And I did it a lot mm. when I first started out because I was, you know, I love a conversation. Like, you know, I love a good chat. So yep. I was sort of like, yeah, you know, I think so, blah, 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 this, that and the other. And then I realized that I was doing both of us a disservice by doing that because I wasn't allowing them to fully articulate what they were trying to say and mm. that then left me with half a story, you know, which is yes. not great when you're actually trying to write a story. Um, the other thing I think that's really important on this so list. So did you have to purposely try and hold yourself back? Yes, I did. Yeah. I really had to and I actively and, – and, you know, I was just talking to um, to someone I just interviewed for the podcast, um, Rachel, who we're going to talk to later on, mm. and at the end of the interview I said to her – you know, I have to sit in silence. And I think it does actually make some people quite nervous. But I have also realized that listening to the audio of the interviews, that if I interrupt or if I converse too much, then it ruins the flow of the actual conversation. Um, But it can be disconcerting for your, uh, for your, the person that you're interviewing as well, when you don't react. Yeah, Um, yeah. too Too much reaction spoils 
the interview. So yeah. it's a very fine line. Um, but yeah, I have to actually, I have to actively hold myself back when I'm having those conversations as well. I just want to get in there. I know. <laughs> Converse. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but what I was going to say was mm. that um, the the fifth point in this particular article on the rightlife.com is mm. the one about developing your angle, oh, I think, is yeah. also very important mm. um, because, you know, in the online teaching that I do for the Australian Writer Centre's course on freelance writing, one of the exercises we do is to write a 500-word profile on someone else who's in the class. And it's a really interesting exercise because 500 words is not very many words. So if you try to tell someone's entire life story in 500 words, mm. you end up with a very difficult, you've set yourself an extremely difficult task. What you have to do is conduct the interview and then find the angle That's for the right. actual profile. And you follow the line of that of that particular angle all the way through the end of your story. And you use the quotes that help to support that angle. And then you have a compelling profile. Then you have something that people will want to read. Otherwise you have a, you know, she was born in 1928 and then, you know, she went to school at so-and-so and then she did this. And then, mm. you know, if you start to feel like you're reading and then, and then, and then, yes, and then, then you probably need to go back and have a look at your angle. Definitely. All good tips. All right. So now that uh, we are definitely in the middle of the silly season, I have been tr- doing some online shopping. And oh, also it's a little bit frustrating, especially when stuff is getting delivered to you from overseas because it can take a really long time. So I sp- seem to spend half my day tracking packages. But anyway, (laughs) I thought I would share this link, which we'll put in the show notes. And it's from a blog called Home Designing. So home-designing.com. And it's actually home decor gifts for book lovers. And some of these, I know we mentioned some gifts last week because of the silly season, but uh, these are pretty unique. And um, I love them. There's the Wizard of Oz themed bookmark where you can put your bookmark in and in, in your book and the Dorothy's legs with her red shoes stick out. <laughs> yeah, I like those ones. That's so cute. And then there's also, um, well, lots of different posters, but one of the ones that I like is a poster, which is the periodic table of world literature. Mm-hmm. So you can combine science and literature um, in this in this chart. And they are writers are grouped by their technique and style. I Ooh. like this because you know I'm the assigned person at trivia to remem- to memorize the periodic table. Are you the assigned person? Mm. How do you go with that? Not so good. I mean, I'm good at the first, you know, 20. Maybe they need to assign someone else to that. What do you think? But there's also the – there's also a scratchy kind of – poster where there's a there's a hundred essential novels that you should read and what you do is after you've read them or read one particular one you scratch it off so that you scratch it off that poster yeah that I think it's cool there's also a jewelry box I love that this is such a good idea actually jewelry box um in the shape of a book so that when you've got it on your bookshelf it doesn't look like a jewelry box right it just looks like a book that is cute I need one of them and I are there any that you love on this well, it's interesting because the, there's some book storage, book-shaped secret storage boxes there that have map covers on them. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I've actually got one of those. I do. Oh. I already have one of those. And in it, I have 
um, all of my bits and pieces of interviews and press clippings and, and all sorts of oh, things wow. from the Batman Chronicles. Yeah. So I keep it all together in a stash that I'm sure my children will find in, you know, 25 years and throw out. But anyway, I really like it. So Yeah, that, that that's cool. Yeah. They're, no, they're cool. And I like actually really quite like the book's Duna cover. I oh, Yes. I'm pretty sure the builder is not going to let me have that, but mm, I do like yeah. the look of it. So, you know, I could think – and I love the little cushion that says just one more chapter. Oh, yes, that's a good that one. That would be a good spot for my on my bed, I think. My favourite yeah, one – great ones there. But my favourite one is there's a wall decal that you can stick on. I knew you'd on. like that. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> why, why would you – Why? I just knew that that's the one that you were going to say, I need one of those. Yes, because you can make an entire wall, uh, a library, like a proper Downton Abbey kind of fancy library with old books. But Mm -hmm. instead of actually having a collection of old and rare books, you can just have a wall decal and pretend to people that you've got. (laughs) You're not doing one of those then, will you? Yeah, why not? Well, I'm not sure. I I don't have the right furniture. I don't have Downton Abbey type furniture. So Mm. we'll see. I like it anyway. All All right. Let us move on to our giveaway this week. Yes. Well, you know that it's Christmas time because you have the 12 days of Christmas, right? Well, Mm -hmm. we've got 12 books of Christmas giveaway. 12 Mm. all in one pack. all in one big stack. Yes. And there's some awesome titles in there, including Poor Me by A.A. Gill, Breathing Underwater by Sophie Hardcastle, a Knight of the Seven Kingdoms by, of course, George R. R. Martin, and The Media and the Massacre, which was an awesome book, by Sonia Vomard and a bunch of others. And, of course, if you want to have a look at the whole list and enter, then go to writerscentre.com.au slash win. Now, entries are open until the 2nd of January, so make sure you enter at writerscentre.com.au slash win and a book of um, a package of 12 books might be winging its way to you in the new year. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our Stage 2 Creative Writing course, Advanced Fiction Writing Techniques, will help you apply proven methods to your own writing, taking your storytelling to a whole new level. With workshopping and practical exercises focusing on scene development, characters, climax and resolution, it's your perfect next step. Learn online over a few hours each week. You'll even get your own tutor providing personal feedback on your writing. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash advanced. All right, are we ready for the word of the week? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm so ready. I'm sitting up straight. Okay. This was inspired by an article I read in Good Weekend magazine, actually. Now, Mm. the word is opprobrium. That's O-P-P-R-O-B-R-I-U-M. Opprobrium. So, this means harsh criticism or vilification or even condemnation. And I've included it because I read it in the Good Weekend article on Pete Evans, you know, the chef guy who seems to regularly make headlines on his comments on nutrition and paleo and um, bone broth and stuff. And so the Good Weekend article said, 
The way he sees it, a certain amount of opprobrium is the price he has to pay for daring to flout conventional wisdom. Hmm. So there you go. So is the implication in that that he said that he used that word? Mm. Would you say? No, I don't know. No, I think otherwise, it's a paraphrasing of yes. his. Mm, okay. Yes, otherwise they would have probably put it in Used quotes. it as a quote. Mm. Mm. Interesting. So harsh criticism or vilification or even condemnation. It's not one I use regularly, but uh, for Never those. Never it in my life. There it's, you go. It's a, new, it's a new one to me, Val. Val's uh, word of the week. It's a new one to me. Maybe you'll use it in a blog post. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> so if you guys, if listeners use it in a blog post, make sure you ping Alison or I so that we know because we would love to see these words of the week out there in the wild. <clears throat> All right, now. The wild words of the week. The I wild like words of the week. Because they're like so that. crazy. Yes. Yeah. Um, who is our writer in residence this week? Well, all of those listeners who love the Australian accent are in for a real treat this week because this week we are bringing out the big guns and we have a New Zealand author. A Kiwi is joining us um, and we are interviewing Rachel Craw, who is the author of the Spark Science Fiction Trilogy, which has a – it's a YA sort of sci-fi crossover trilogy, which has a huge online following and um, is going really, really well. So we had a bit of a chat about uh, how the trilogy came about and um, the sort of the social media aspect of being a YA author and all sorts of other things, and she says some great things in a very cute accent. Rachel Craw is a New Zealand-based author of young adult science fiction. Her debut novel, Spark, the first in a trilogy, was published in 2014 by Walker Books Australia and was shortlisted for the Silver Inky Awards and the Children's Choice Awards for YA in the New Zealand Book Awards and was optioned for film. The sequel, Stray, won the Children's Choice Award for 2016 and the third book, Shield, was released in September 2016. So, welcome to the program, Rachel. Hi, thank you, Alison. All right, so let's talk about where all this started. Was Spark mm. the first manuscript you ever wrote? Yeah, uh, before Spark, I'd only ever written poetry or scripts um, for either amateur theatre or um, uh, indie film, you know, diddling about. Um, and so I'd never attempted long-form writing, and I, I think primarily that's because I always doubted that I had the inner fortitude to see it through. Mm. Uh, I was, I just thought the idea was very intimidating and, um, and because I'm such an impatient person, very, very impatient person. Um, I like things that happen quickly. And so <laughs> the idea of attempting to write a novel just seemed like something uh, sort of pie in the sky, you know, so far out of my reach. Um, but when it, the idea got its hooks into me and I, and I finally started I guess I realized I had massively underestimated myself and um, and also probably massively underestimated my slightly obsessive compulsive personality. And so once it had hold of me, there was no letting go and I had to see it through. So, um, yeah, I think it was perhaps the, the actual story itself that forced me into it. All right. So, so yeah. where did the idea for the book come from and why did you think, oh, this is a novel and not a, you know – um, yeah. not, not a script or a short story yeah. or a poem or whatever. 
Um, I don't know. I think there might have been a few things going on. Uh, one of them was probably hormones. I just had my baby, and I think I was probably out of my mind. <laughs> that helps, yeah. So I was like, my baby was only a couple of months old, and I wasn't probably getting a lot of sleep, and <laughs> so my hormones were probably all over the place. But I was also very um, – uh, I guess the creative urge was very, very strong. And so I've always sort of had that, um, it's almost like a physical itch or something that hits you and you just have to do something creative. And, and that was very intense and very strong at that period of time. And I knew that I wanted to write. And and so I was thinking, and then I was just thinking, oh, well, what about, you know, maybe I could have a go, you know, <laughs> mm. have a go at writing a story. And I mean, but there were lots of things that I kind of instinctively knew within myself that if I was going to write, that I would probably want to write for young adults, that I would want to write something that had a a slightly fantastical element to it, um, that I wanted a, that I would want to write a female protagonist, um, that I would want it to kind of be a bit sort of kick ass, you know, um, but I didn't have a premise. I didn't have that big, you know, that big idea to, to sort of land it all of it. Um, and so I can remember one night sitting on my bed and, and actually praying and saying, God, give me an idea. And, and I was sort of thinking, cause you hear stories about people who, um, whose ideas just arrive almost fully formed or, um, like the twilight lady have, she had a dream about a girl and a vampire having a conversation in a field. And I think, I don't know if I've got this wrong, but JK Rowling, I think she might've been writing the tube and then, and the idea just sort of arrived in her head, this idea of this boy wizard. And, and I'd read so many of those kinds of sort of articles and thinking, well, where's my idea? <laughs> like, I am right here. <laughs> I am, I'm ready to go. Where's my idea? And so that night I prayed and I was like, I need an idea. God, give me an idea. I went to sleep and I had a dream and the dream, I just woke up and I knew that that was my idea. And wow. so the dream is actually the prologue of Spark, so which is literally the dream that I had wow. of running through the forest, being super fast, having these crazy reflexes and stamina and, um, and sort of senses. And, uh, and I knew that I was racing through the forest and that I was trying to get to somebody, that somebody was out there in the dark alone and in danger, that their life was in danger. And I just had this tremendous sense of urgency and instinct that I had to get to them first before somebody else did. Mm. And if I didn't, that they would be killed and it would be my responsibility. I would have let that happen. And, and that was just this tremendously unbearable feeling in the dream. And I, and this racing and racing to get to the person. And then when I woke up, um, sort of heart racing, <laughs> you mm. know, heart racing in this dream, I was like, wow, I think that's my idea. And so I actually got up to feed my baby in the dark. Um, and I was sitting in the, in the, in the feeding chair and my brain was racing and, and natural, it was just this natural process of, of question and answer. So, the dream just brought up so many questions of, and I was thinking, well, you know, why was I so fast? Like, what about all those crazy reflexes and strength and stamina? Like what, where does that come from? And I knew in that moment that it was actually a decision I was making about the story. It's like, well, this is either magic or it's science. You know, it's either, Mm. either I've been, you know, a, a wizard has tapped me on the head or, or I don't know, maybe I'm a vampire or maybe, or maybe it's something that's been cooked up in a lab. And the feeling of the dream was very much sort of like comic book adventure story. And so 
I, I felt like, oh, this is something that's been cooked up in a lab by a mad scientist. And so then I just kept on asking more questions, like, so why, who was in trouble? Why were they in trouble? Why was it my responsibility? Why the sense of urgency? All those kinds of things. And then, and then this secret organization starts coming to mind. And So when did you actually start writing the book? Like, did you sort of get up the next day and start yeah. cranking out words? Yeah, literally. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah, I got up and, um, and just got stuck into it and, um, and it was very, yeah, I, I just, yeah, it was like a sort of fever. <laughs> so how long did it take you to, um, to draft that? How long did it take you to write that, that um, first book? Probably, okay, well, uh, mm. so the, the first draft probably only took me about three or four months okay. to write. Yeah. But, I mean, it was just a heaving hot mess. So <laughs> as just, they do. As you can imagine, it was just the most horrific, great lumbering beast of a thing you know I didn't even you know know its own shape and so in I spent so that might have been the first draft but it took five years to make it to make it palatable and also I had to really learn how to write you know I didn't really I mean other than what I was you know had had done my whole life I I really I had no training I had no um I had not um applied you know craft to the work and so that was a, a massive learning curve and, and yeah learning to write <laughs> so what year did you start the did you actually start writing the manuscript you said your your was that your first baby that was that was a, a newborn or was that was that- my no she was my third baby so okay. um so she is now eight years old okay so that is how that is how old spark is now wow yeah okay and was it mm. always going to be a trilogy or- yes, yeah, yeah. That was definitely that was another thing that I knew before oh, I started was that okay. I would want to write a series because I loved series as a child. Like the reading, you know, I loved series. Like I, we have talked previously about Trixie Belden. Like mm-hmm. so, I love that revisiting old friends and revisiting old characters mm-hmm. and and going returning to a world that you that you know and love. And so I was I had already decided that whatever I wrote, it would be a series purely for the simple pleasure of returning to a world that I love and characters that I love. So yeah, there was, I wasn't intending. Yep. Okay. From the beginning. All right. And so did you write all three books before you sort of tried to sell the first one or what did you do with that? Um, so in the process, so once I had my first draft for Spark cooking, I got to a natural – I got to a point where I just realized I don't know how to make this better. Like okay. I don't know how – I don't know how to be a better writer. I don't know how to make this better and so obviously realized that I needed some external help. Um, and and so then I started looking up uh, manuscript assessors and things like that. And so once I had an, I got myself an assessor um, and started going down that process of putting my work – you know, into the hands of someone else and receiving feedback to pre- to preserve my sanity for the waiting in between. So it would go away and be away for, you know, several weeks where I, I wasn't in my hands to keep myself sane. I just started writing the next book because it was yeah. just unbearable to not be doing anything. Yeah. And, um, and so, yeah, just as out of purely out of, to save my, my sanity, I just started writing stray. So, um, so Spark and Stray, the very first early drafts, were essentially written in the same year. Okay. Um, and then as I started 
getting feedback back and forth with my assessor um, for Spark, um, then I just started putting my energy into really developing Spark and, and, and making it um, palatable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then I, um, I, I went from my assessor to a mentor and I worked with a mentor for probably about nine months uh, from about like February to November. That was Chris Els. And um, Chris uh, mentored me through that rewrite. Mm -hmm. Um, And then by the end of that, he and uh, Barbara, who had been Barbara, his wife, who was my assessor, um, they offered to represent me and become my agents at the end of that. Right. period of time okay. so so when they they began pitching it um i i had a, com- a completed draft for spark and i had a first draft of stray and i had um about 50 pages of of shield um, okay. um but was was still a formless you know a formless void <laughs> so to had you outlined the three books at any stage, or were was were you sort of creating everything as you as you wrote? Um, yeah, so I'm probably uh, f- fairly. I would I would say that I was a pantser. Yeah. Um, but I guess my plotting is sort of happening internally. You know, like sort of happening inside me. So as I was writing Spark, I knew where I wanted it to end, and I knew what I wanted the main events of what I wanted to happen, mm-hmm. but I was not certain about ha- the route to get there. And it was just sort of, you know, feeling my way towards it. And the same with Stray. I had a, a main idea. I knew what I wanted to happen. I wasn't sure how I would get there. Um, and Shield was actually a complete mystery. And so I just pretended that I knew what I wanted to happen, but I didn't oh. know what I wanted to happen. So you didn't know how it was all going to end? Well, I had a main idea. So, like, the the titles of the books are actually um, roles of characters in the story. Right. So there's a spark, there's a stray, and there's a shield. Yeah. Um, and so each story is a complete story in its own. Um, um, but, yeah, so w- with shield, I knew what I wanted for my ultimate outcome. Yeah. But that story – was a mystery to me and so yeah wow. I had to write write that from scratch in one year but um that was did you find quite having, fun, actually I was gonna say did you find having a debt because I'm assuming by then the the series had sold and so mm. you've got a deadline and you have to write to a market and all of that mm. sort of stuff was that more difficult do you think uh Stray was my hardest book to write the middle, um, the middle the middle the book hardest. But I also feel it's probably my best book. Like yeah. I, it nearly killed me, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nearly destroyed me. But I think it's probably my best work in terms of uh, what I accomplished in the plot and, and what it, I think I accomplished in my writing. But primarily that's because, like, so, you know, Stray sat there for years untended because I was putting all of my energy into Spark and getting it getting spark up to scratch and so when once you know spark was out in the universe and now i had one year to get stray ready to go to print and it was very very i guess intimidating in the sense that i had this pre-existing manuscript 
but it'd been years since I had looked at it. And so my writing had changed so much. Mm. You know, I had, I had changed so much. My writing had changed so much. The plot had changed so much. So it was a massive, massive job mm. rewriting it. And I felt, I felt really bound to it. Like I didn't feel uh, in some ways I wish that I'd had the courage to just sort of bin it and start from scratch. Mm. But it was like a safety blanket, but it was also kind of millstone, you yeah. know, like it was yeah, just this, this terrible millstone as well. But in saying that, you know, magic, of course, happens <laughs> like in the rewrite. It was just it was magical and horrific and you know, all of those kinds of things. And, oh dear. and so it was during the rewrite, you know, a whole new character came came into the story and then just destroyed everything and, and took over. And, and it was great. And um and so, you know, it's stuff that I could never have planned for. And uh, and so that was – it was very, very hard but intensely satisfying by the completion. And whereas S.H.I.E.L.D., um, even that 50 pages that I had written way back had to be d- – um, ditched because of all the changes that had been made. So they were mm. no longer relevant. Like the, even the characters weren't even in it anymore that were in that first 50 pages. Just, and so essentially I did write S.H.I.E.L.D. from scratch, you know, draft and, and, and bring it to completion in one year. But it was, it was so much easier. <laughs> it was so much easier than Stray because I didn't, I wasn't bound to anything. And so yeah. I just had sort of wild freedom. And so it was actually, um, a, a, a lot a lot easier it was just a lot easier to write and fun and yeah it was good so do you, do, I really you have, enjoyed um, do you have an elevator pitch for this for the series like how do you when people ask you yeah. what it's about do so you when I, hit us with your elevator pitch <laughs> uh, when I talk about Spark I say it's a story about a 17 year old girl who discovers that she has been genetically engineered to save a life and fall in love, but the chances of surviving either are against her. Oh, <laughs> um, nice. Yeah, that's how I sum it up. <laughs> excellent. All right, excellent. And why do you write YA? Like you said, you know, that you knew, knew before mm. you even started writing your novel that you it would be YA. Why, why is um, that the case? Is that what you like then, to read? Back then I would have said it's because I'm an English teacher and I teach young adults, and so ah. that's my – that's my the people that I was that I'm with or the people that I was with all the time. But I don't know. In retrospect, I don't actually know if that, that I think that's part, partly true. Mm-hmm. I actually think um, I think it probably I, I'm it fits me. Like I mm. am interested in all of those YA things, and I'm very interested in storytelling from a YA perspective. And I think mainly. Um, I think the biggest appeal for me in YA is that age being on the cusp of life mm. and that tremendous sense of possibility that anything could happen and also all the firsts, all the falling in love for the first time or heartbreak or, um, or you know, experiencing the world for the first time as an adult and that shift from responsibility from childhood into adulthood and mm. um, all of that kind of stuff I just love. And I, I think it is – full of it's just ripe with story and um ripe with drama ripe with conflict and um it's a a great platform for exploring character for exploring the world so yeah so the books are written in first person which which I tend to think of as a very YA voice like a lot of the YA that I read is first person why do you think that's the case 
Uh, that's a good question. I actually wrote the I actually wrote the entire all of my stuff in in um, in third person Ooh. and past tense. Or was it first person past tense? I can't remember. No, it was might have it was first person past tense. Anyway, it was in the very last six months before it went to print, and I had written a short story um, in first person present tense, and the it's so full of urgency mm. and immediacy. I was like, oh my gosh, I need the whole book to be in first person present tense. I don't even, actually, maybe it was just the thrill of writing at a different tense after mm. so many years of writing and, and past tense and stuff. And so I just said to my editor, look, I, I said, look, I, I did it without telling her. I wrote, I just, um, I guess, transcribed the first three chapters mm. of Spark and sent it to her look and said, I, I really feel like this is the voice that I want for the story. I reckon I could do this in a couple of weeks. And she was open to it. She read it and she's like, yeah, I love it. Let's do that. And so then I just changed the whole thing. Wow. So for me, I think probably the best thing about that voice is urgency and immediacy. Yeah. And um, and I really like a uh, – I like to be in the head. I like to be in the head of the person and I like to write that sort of visceral experience of being in – the person's head so it suits me okay what do you think is the most difficult thing to get right when you're writing YA oh that's a good question I suppose voice um is probably yeah I I think I'm you know one of the because I'm originally all my writing uh, was really script based and dialogue based before I started writing um you know novels mm. Um, authentic voice really meant a lot to me. And so what, the first thing that will put me off as a reader is wooden dialogue or, you know, that lack of an authentic voice. Mm. And, um, and so that's something that turns me off immediately or that I won't believe that that's a teenager or I won't believe that that's sincere or real. And so um, I do think voice is the key. And so I think – you know, if you're going to write in first person, then voice is in the head as well. You know what I mean? And mm. so it's it's that internal processing voice as well as the spoken voice has to be authentic. Mm. Um, but then I think a mistake that can often be made in the attempt at YA is to sound like a teenager, and which yeah. only ever comes across as condescending yeah. or, or you know, it just never sounds real. And so mm. I think you actually have to believe you, or you actually have to respect the people that you're writing for. Mm. And so when you're a young adult, what you think and what you say and what you do, you know, you are fully in it and you fully believe it and you fully own it. And mm. <laughs> so yeah. I think, yeah, the attempt to kind of, I don't know, I don't know, to sound like a teenager is just immediately doesn't work. It just has to, it's not right. Yeah. Okay. So um, as a writer based in New Zealand, did you, Mm. did you immediately go when, when you went to sort of publishers with Spark, did you go to Australian publishers? Did you start with the New Zealand industry? Did you go overseas? What did you do? How did it, how did it come about? Uh, Well, my agents, Chris and Barbara Else, they were the ones who advised me and they said, look, this is what we could do. So they gave me three options. They said um, we could take it to a New Zealand publisher 
Um, and Chris had already spoken to a couple of people who were interested, and he said, I reckon we could take it here, and I can get pretty much guarantee you that we would have a publisher. Um, he said, or um, we could take a leap and um, pitch it to some Australian publishers, and they listed a few people that they thought might be interested in it. Um, or the third option was that um, – we part company and I look for an American agent and attempt to publish overseas, you right. know, attempt, attempt to find an American agent uh, because they didn't have the, the connections to be able to, to take it directly to uh, an American market. And, yeah. um, and so I felt. Cause it's actually I, set in the U S right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And that's very much based on the dream. Like it was yeah. very much that feeling of being in like a, in like a comic book, you yeah. know, and it felt very American to me. Um, and so I felt very young and inexperienced and totally clueless. Right. <laughs> I was like, I have no idea how to do any of those things. So like the idea of me running off and finding an American agent at that time seemed so beyond the scope of my fathoming. Like I just said, no, like, I just don't even know how to do that, which is, you know, I was foolish and I, maybe I should have done that. I don't know. Um, but I was, I felt like I had a really great relationship with Barbara and Chris and, um, and so I really trusted them and I do really trust them. And so I said, well, let's, let's, I choose door number two, you know, okay. so <laughs> that was what we went with. And so, All right. so you took it they, to, they you went to Australian publishers with it. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. Um, so you mentioned on your website um, that you really enjoy the public side of writing, like you like workshops and speaking at festivals and in schools and all that yeah, sort of thing. Have you definitely. always liked that or is that something that's developed in the last couple of years, you know, as you've done more of it? Um, I Well, because I'm a, a teacher by profession, so it's really sort of natural. It's a very natural extension of, mm -hmm. of my skill set to be able to – be in a classroom or to speak um, in public. And so, um, yeah, no, it was easy. It was not, not easy. That's a maybe overkill. Uh, <laughs> you know, it was just natural. It was natural. It was natural. And so, uh, and I really enjoy it. And uh, and because, you know, I, you know, when I, I started writing and I, I had my baby, I was at home for, um, you know, four years or whatever it was uh, with my, my little girl and, um, and, and I chose to write full time at that time because I could. Yeah. And um, and at the end of that, you know, so that's a long time out of the classroom. Yeah. And so I missed, I really missed it. And so when, you know, being published afforded me the opportunity to go places and, and be in, in a classroom setting or be in a, in a public speaking setting, it was great. I just loved it. It was like, wow, come out of my cave and look at people. So <laughs> are you great. working as a teacher still now? Well, I actually just this month um, signed a contract for a teaching position at um, our local high school to have to teach part-time drama, um, oh, just two classes. So it gives me time in classroom, but it also gives me writing time. Um, so that's been an amazing, really timely, perfect moment for me to be able to do that. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Do you think – because I think that a lot of um, – particularly YA authors, um, you know, YA audiences can be quite intimidating if you're not used to them. Um, so mm. do you have any tips for, you know, perhaps uh, aspiring YA authors who, who might be developing workshops or, you know, might be new to speaking at schools and festivals and things of the best way to approach it? 
Gosh, that's a really good question. Um, I yes, I don't find young people intimidating. So that's because uh, yeah. you're used to them. <laughs> yes, that's true. That is true. Um, I just think totally be yourself. Be really well prepared. Yeah. Um, relax. And you, you don't have to be clever or, or funny or entertaining. You just need to be authentic and real and down to earth. And um, so, yeah, I think, you know, you don't have to go in and start telling jokes or, or being – or being. you don't have to go and entertain them. You you just need to go and be real and engage and, and treat them with respect. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I think people respond to authenticity, you know, and so if – People, if you put it on a fake show, people, kids will just see right through you. So, I think, but be 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 organised. Yeah, be, <laughs> be prepared. prepared. Be prepared for actually, everything. Actually, have something to say. Um, you know, so yeah. yeah. Um, you're also active on social media, which is of, of course where we connected, and in fact have yeah. your own Spark Army hashtag, which I really <laughs> love. Um, which of you know, I, I've seen you on Instagram and Twitter, um, probably most obviously. Mm. But what's your mm. favorite platform as a YA author? Ah, uh, Twitter for sure. Okay. Yeah. Twitter is so immediate. Like it's so much fun. And I mean, before I was published, um, I mean, I was, I'm on Facebook. Um, but that was really it. But I mean, I am, I am sort of net, I'm quite sort of wired for social media yeah. and I am quite, I have quite an addictive personality. Um, so I was just like steering clear of too much social media. But of course now it's my entire life. Like I'm constantly online, but. And now you can um, call it your job, right? Yeah. Now I can, now I can justify it. But, right. um, so my, my mark, the marketing team at Walker were like, okay, Rach, you know, you should really get online. You should get on Twitter. You should have a website. And I'm like, oh guys, I just don't know. This is a good idea. (laughs) Once I go down this path, it's all over. I may never come back. Uh, And of course that's been true. So I was right. (laughs) So it's having an active readership because of course, one of the bonuses I think of writing YA is that ability to reach your readership because your readership is Mm. there with you as opposed to say writing middle grade or for, you know, younger children where you're not. Yeah. That's a true. That's a yeah. That's a very good point. Yeah. Is it is it is do you see it as one of the bonuses of writing YA? Is that immediacy oh, of touching I, readers? I love it. So to speak. I love it. Yeah, no, I totally love it. And because I think, you know, a lot of people, you know, maybe and maybe it's different if you're writing for adults, um it's not the same way. Whereas Whereas when you're writing for young adults, the reaction is so natural and so visceral, mm. and so it, and it's not filtered. People give you unfiltered reactions, and they engage with you, I guess, really honestly. Mm. And so, I I love it. I absolutely love it. And so it's very very fun. And because I am um, like you know, I know a lot of authors who really struggle with social media and who who see like having to have a social media presence as just this great burden and it's just very, very hard work and that and I have never felt like that. It's very, very natural for me. I, you know, I'm, I don't have much of a filter anyway. What's in my head, it just comes out and <laughs> I'm not quite too worried about, I'm not too worried about being clever or I'm trying to be impressive. I just, and so social media is a very fun place for me because 
it's about having a bit of a laugh, you know, finding a good meme, you know, having a joke, sharing great things that I love, you know. So it's very lighthearted, very easy, requires zero energy from me. Like I don't, I don't think, oh no, I better go online and, and say something meaningful, or oh no, I better go and post something so that people will, you know. Like I don't even think about it; it just happens. So it, it works really, really well for me. Suits my personality and all of that kind of thing. So. As someone who's only kind of recently, like it's only the last couple of years that you've really got into it, what what do you mm. think? Like, have you got a tip for a new YA author who's starting out on social media? Oh, I think just have fun and be really engaging and don't hesitate to connect with people. And mm. um, like, especially with Twitter, like people get on Twitter and they're like, oh, I don't know how to actually get followers. I don't know how to say anything. Well, just keep posting and keep following and keep commenting and all of those kinds of things. But I think... Uh, primarily for me is is that I'm actually looking for engagement. I think the worst thing you can do is just get on there and, and be bashing people over the head with your book. You know? mm, so true. <laughs> and so people just like not interested. It's like the worst. It's just the worst. And we know what it's like when people follow us and then they send you a direct message saying, you might like to look at my book. Or yeah, da, no. da, da, da. I'm like, you yeah, know, mate, I don't. Yeah, no. Thanks, um, thanks, but no thanks. And now I, and now I really don't, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. since you've done that. So I think, yeah, I just think looking for authentic engagement and, um, you know, it's really as simple as finding people who are like-minded. These are the things that I'm into. What are you into? Chat about those things and um, and have fun with it. And uh, I think that's a very simple way. And so because now I, my, I, I have so many readers who follow me, so when I'm sharing things, like if I am in doing any sort of blatant promotion or sharing things about my book, I'm doing it because I have people who are interested and who actually want to know. Mm. <laughs> Which so, is helpful. Yes. And so it's my obligation. I'm like, okay, well, you know, my readers want to know what's happening and um, and, and what's going on. And so it's a great way to do that. But it's not the, the – it can't be the only reason that you're doing it because then it just becomes soulless and depressing, you know? Yeah. So you have three daughters. Um, do I you do. find uh, fitting? I mean, the youngest one of whom is eight. I think we discussed. Yeah. yeah. So, do you find fitting in the writing difficult at times? Like, are you juggling sort of that family writing work mm. balance? Um. Yeah. I mean, it is. It is tricky. But it, it, I've been very blessed, really, to be able to, um, especially with the first the first books being able to write full time and be look, I've been supported by my husband mm. um, and we've just gotten by, you know mm. what I mean? Like we yeah. just sort of make, make do we've made do and we've gotten by and I've had a very sympathetic and a very, very supportive husband, but it hasn't always been easy. Uh, certainly not right in the midst of those, you know, three books and three years, intense deadlines. So we had, um, you know, we missed two Christmases. We missed um, where we just didn't go away. I couldn't go away, you know, had to just mm. stay at home. We've stayed home a lot. Um, yeah, for sure. And there have been a lot of, you know, weekends where I'm stuck in the office and Ian has to be solo parent. Mm. Um, but... Um, We've gotten by and the kids are very gracious and my husband's been very gracious about it. And But it all kind of balances out in the wash. You know what I mean? And yeah. so like now, you know, we, we you know, I come out of my cave. Yeah. <laughs> I make eye contact. You're allowed we out conversation. now. <laughs> <laughs> You're allowed yeah, out we now. We do that. All right. Um, well, um, yeah, let's finish up for today. Mm. Sorry? Mm. 
No, I was just saying, you know, there is a cost to yeah, to to doing this, and but we get by. But now, you know, working part time and teaching, uh, teaching and writing, trying to make those two things work together, I'm experimenting with that. Mm. <laughs> See how that goes. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, well, let's finish up for today with our, you know, world famous three top tips for aspiring authors. What have you got for us? Um, uh, well, it might be anything new. This is the depressing thing about top tips is that they are top tips because they're all true. Mm, very <laughs> so true. read, 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 read. Uh, there's just really no other um, way around it. You can't be a good writer without being a, a keen reader and um, – I always say, say, read the best, you know. So look for, I think, what the whatever genre or whatever um, category that you're writing in. Look for who is killing it. Look for who is doing amazing in that genre. Uh, look who has done amazingly in that genre historically. Read their work and and set the benchmark high for yourself. Um, I don't know. That's kind of one and two together. Mm-hmm. Um, my third, probably the best thing that you can do is learn to receive criticism. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is probably the linchpin for actually developing your craft is learning to receive criticism and letting it make you better mm-hmm. <laughs> rather than destroying you and rolling up in a ball and running away. Yes. Uh, I think definitely that's probably been the best thing about. So my, this is what, this is my probably thing that I always say in every interview that I've ever given. And this is the, this is the solid truth. I wanted to be good more than I wanted to be published. And mm-hmm. I really wanted to be published. Mm. And so, you know, I wanted to be good more than I wanted to be published. And so I think, you know, having that dedication to your craft means that you have to be willing to take your medicine. (laughs) You have to be willing to swallow the hard truth Mm. and, um, and do the work. So, yeah. So true. That's probably not. That's probably not a very cheerful thing to say. No, I think it's. I, I, you know, you know, if you've ever listened to me or you know whatever, you would know that Mm. I am across that, and I totally agree Mm. with you. I think it's a really, really great piece of advice. All Mm. right. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Rachel. Best of luck with um with the trilogy. I hope it goes gangbusters, and um, (laughs) I will you know look forward to seeing you online. Great. Thanks, Alison. It's been wonderful. So that was Rachel Craw, and I hope that uh, everyone enjoyed that interview. I know I certainly yeah, did. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, well, I, you know, for me, I found it quite interesting, her, com- her you know, the conversation we had about sort of social media for YA authors. I think mm. um, if you are an aspiring way, way, way <laughs> author, it's hard to say that quickly. It if is. you are an aspiring YA author, um, definitely worth taking on board her comments about, about platform, about the fact that, you know, your readership or potential readership is incredibly active um, online mm. and you can reach them directly. And, you know, it's it doesn't take much to engage. It's just to, you know, be yourself, have a conversation, um, you know, just sort of talk to them. Um, And I also found her comments about, you know, just getting into that sort of teenage headspace quite interesting. So um, anyway, I hope hope that everyone enjoyed the interview. And I, uh, yeah, as I said, I did. There's some YA authors like Rachel who are just doing really well in terms of building their author platform because they're understanding that a lot of platform building is online and a lot of their audience is online too, isn't it? That's exactly – yeah, well, that's right. And I I found it quite funny. She says that – 
she stayed offline for a long time because she has an addictive personality and she mm-hmm. sort of had this very bad feeling that she'd sort of get get on there and, and that would be the end of her and it has turned out to be that. I mean, she loves it and it's mm. not for everyone and I do understand that some people find it more difficult than others. But if it is something that you um, – I think it, you need to to give it a go and you need yes. to find a platform that you can be happy, you know, managing. And obviously Twitter and Instagram are at this stage probably the places for YA authors. Although mm. I've been reading again and I know that you tried Snapchat and then you <laughs> decided that it wasn't for you, mm. but it has a huge team user base as well. It and does. I know I know some authors are having a great deal of success reaching yes. their readers. Uh, via Snapchat. So yes, um, play, have a play with a few different things and just see what, what is the most natural platform for you to, you know, that you feel that you're kind of doing your best work on. I think that's that's the way and, to do it. And if you want a step-by-step blueprint on exactly how you can build your author platform, regardless of whether you write for YA or not, it applies to all genres, then check out Alison's course. It's awesome. It's literally step-by-step on how you build your author platform. Uh, And you'll find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash platform. So writercenter.com.au slash platform. Now, let's move on to our working writers tip this week. Oh, we have, okay. Yes, we have a question from Bex. And Bex has said, just been listening to the podcast and I thought I might send in a question for Val and Al for, for the podcast from a struggling fiction writer. We love questions. Send questions. Send questions. And if you're wondering where to send them, send them to podcast at writerscentre.com.au. So Bex continues, I love listening to the podcast and always take away some great insight or inspiration for my own writing. I've been a journalist for many years, but I've always wanted to write fiction. I am not, however, writing any fiction. (laughs) I keep hitting the same roadblock again and again when it comes to starting out. The plot. I just struggle so much when it comes to developing a story that I never get started with the actual writing. Should I just dive in and start writing something even if I don't know where it's going? I'm starting to think that maybe I'm just not meant to be a fiction writer. Oh, great question, Bex. And I'm going to throw over to Alison. (laughs) Okay. Thanks so much for that, Val. Well, because Um, you've been in the same position. You've been a journalist. You know, I I just honestly think like my – my uh, my first instinct here is just to say, Bex, start writing something because I think that if you're sitting there and you're plotting and you're outlining and it's not working for you, then you need to try something else. Mm. Um, if you know, if you really want to write fiction, then try something different. Like if if one thing, like they always say that the you know definition of insanity is just to do the same thing over and over with and expect a different result. Mm. So developing a plot is not working for you. So I would suggest that you get in and start writing. Now that comes with a caveat. I would also suggest that you do a course, um, some kind of creative writing course. I would look at one that is going to talk you through the basics of structure, because Mm -hmm. I think that it's, um, it's one thing to sit there and start trying to write a plot. Um, but it's something else to actually understand what it is that you're trying to do. Um, so I would be looking at a creative writing course that would that will go take you through the the basics of a three act structure, so that when you do yep. start your writing, um, you have some like I mean I talk about the fact that I don't write to a plot. Um, mm. And I do have a bit more of an outline these days than I ever used to, but it's mostly because I'm writing series. Um, but having said that, I've been writing for a long time now yep. and I've been a reader for a long, 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 long time. And so that 
I, I do feel that I probably have that ingrained instinct about structure. And I think that that's where so many writers, particularly new writers, go wrong because they start writing and writing and writing and writing and what they probably end up with is about 25,000 words of a first act and no real idea of the fact that, that that's all they've got. Um, yeah. So I think that you need – you do – you have to have some underpinnings. It's like any anything that you're doing for the first time, you need to have some kind of an idea of what you're doing because otherwise it, the, the ability for it to go wrong is just so easy. It's, mm. you know, it can all – so quickly. So my, I do think you need to start writing, Bex. I do yep. think that it's an, you know, if you've got an idea, a spark, shall we say, mm. start writing that. Let's just get that going. Let's get a daily even a scene, yeah, even a scene. Start writing something because what you want to do is try to develop that daily writing habit where you want to go back to your desk to do even two hundred words, five hundred words. It doesn't have to be a massive slab every time you sit down. So I suggest you start writing something. And then I suggest that you have a look at doing a creative writing course that will give you those underpinning tenets and rules of structure. Because I think that when you talk about plot, that's what you're actually missing. And you can do them at the same time. You can do the creative writing course to understand those fundamentals. But separately to that, just write Start writing something, yeah. Mm. And I, I'm the fact that you're so keen to write fiction suggests to me yes. that you've got an idea. Yes. So take that idea and start writing it. Like just get yourself started and give yourself permission to get it wrong because yes. you are going to get it wrong. There's no denying it. It's your first draft. It's the first time you've ever done it. Things are going to go pear-shaped. But you can edit and you know how much we love a good edit. So you basically it's you give yourself permission to sit down and get started. Now, people in Bex's position often think, but I don't want to waste writing 10,000 words. What's your comment on that? No word is ever wasted. I think, you know, I've written entire manuscripts that have gone nowhere, but every single manuscript that I have written has taught me how to write a book. And yeah. that's what you need because yeah. writing a book, it's a, you know, it's an unwieldy beast. If you're writing, mm. you know, for adults, you've got 90 to 110,000 words. You're writing for children. You're looking at, you know, somewhere between 40 to 55,000 words, depending on the age group that you're writing. You, It's a lot of words that you are. And I remember the first time that I wrote a fiction manuscript, I felt like I was swimming in words, like I was diving Mm. through words and they weren't always great words and they didn't always make sense and I got to the end of it and I thought, oh, my Lord, but such a sense of satisfaction because I had got to the end. I had written, you know, my 65 or 70,000 first draft Mm. and those words were all there and there was kind of some vague, you know, idea of a story going on in there and it it was a really great feeling of, 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 of achievement. And what it taught me was how to go about doing the next one. Yep, absolutely. Fantastic advice. All right. Well, this brings us almost to the end of this week's episode. What have you got coming up in the uh, coming week? Well, apart from school holidays. Well, I'm writing. I'm just writing. Um, I'm just really trying to get uh, you know, I'm trying to tackle this beast to the ground. (laughs) Mm, Fair enough. Um, and get it sort of get this first draft done before, um, before, well, you know, before it goes all wrong, really. But yes. Anyway, yes. It's fine. I'll be fine. That sounds good. Just to me, smiling through my gritted teeth. I'll be fine. <laughs> so fine. All right. Awesome. So, where do we find you, you on? Oh, what am I doing? I must um, be doing something interesting than that, surely. Uh, I am. 
I am going to be a, a couple of things busy with our freelance writing masterclass program, which mm-hmm. you know launched about two or three weeks ago, maybe two weeks ago, and. Um, Oh, it's just a super fun dynamic group and I am creating the modules for upcoming, well, creating upcoming modules. Um, so it'd be really good to get everyone's feedback from that and see what they've learned from it. I'm also creating um, a course that's going to be launched in January called How to Write a Business Book. So it's going to be an online course called Ooh. How to Write a Business Book. And this course, I've, I've just finished the, um, the bulk of it and it's just information packed. So I have been busy doing course creation. I actually had to say no to a commission. <gasps> yeah, I know. I what? rarely do that because I always find out the facts before I say yes, right? Yeah. And this particular commission um, – I found out exactly how many interviews and, you know, all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. uh, beforehand and um, I said yes. And then I got the brief and it was actually three times that many interviews. <gasps> what? And Why I had to go back to you, Valerie. I, I, don't, they, I, I don't know. <laughs> and I had to say, I'm so sorry, but I only said yes because I thought I could not, I can't actually fit it in. Mm. So I feel a bit bad, but I do know that I, you know, sussed it out beforehand. So better I, to say no listen. now than exactly. not to deliver. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. also a lesson in reading your brief ASAP and not yeah. the week before it's due. Yeah, yeah? not the yeah, week so before true. it's due. Yeah. So and I so I read it like the day after I got it, and I'm so glad I did because sometimes yeah. you know when life gets busy, you don't read it till later. And oh, I'm so glad I did. Anyway, <laughs> so where do we find you online, Al? Uh, you'll find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You'll find me on Twitter at, at Al Tate, and you will find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. And you, Val, where will we find you? You will find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram. And do ping Alison and I on social media. We'd love to hear from you. And you will find me on Facebook. I'm the Valerie Koo that lives in Sydney. Feel free to connect with me there. And uh, we'd love to, you know, hear from you. But in the meantime, thank you so much for listening to us this week. And we look forward to chatting to you again next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writerscentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.